Hey guys, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. So glad to have everyone along today. And I've got another really special guest today. As you've heard me say before, this podcast was created to have a variety of different guests that cover the entire landscape, lawn, and irrigation industries. Today's guest is Alan Hain. That's A-L-L-Y-N. Love that spelling. He is the Lawn Care Nut, lawncarenut.com. He has YouTube videos with over a million views and is a full-time professional landscape and lawn care media producer. Alan's going to give us some tips that you could use to make videos in your business. We're going to even talk about Instagram and some of the influence that has, as well as some of the differences between lawn care providers and irrigation professionals and what we agree on and maybe what we disagree on and how we can work together better. So without further ado, let's jump right in. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Alan, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show. So glad to have you on today. Thanks, Andy. Great to be here. Yeah, and I'm a fan of what you're doing on YouTube. I've watched a lot of your shows, and I thought that it would be an awesome opportunity to bring you on the Sprinkler Nerd podcast because this podcast is directed towards the landscape industry, but specifically to irrigation professionals. And of course, lawn care and irrigation are like brother and sister. And I think there's a lot that a professional irrigator can learn from a professional lawn care expert like yourself so welcome oh thanks the thing is i have to admit as a lawn care guy i don't know that much about professional irrigation so it's interesting for me also to be exposed to this audience because i'm sure i'm going to learn a lot and maybe even some of the things that i've thought over the years i'll learn some things as well so it, it's really cool for me to to be in front of this audience at the same time yeah and that way maybe we can figure out how to work together as two trades instead of pointing fingers at one another which yes. is often the case yes exactly because we shouldn't be doing that we're, we're going for the same goal <laughs> <laughs> yeah so for those that are listening you started and run the lawn care nut and i would love to kind of hear your background and your original startup story with uh, starting this business all right, cool. So I was born and raised in St. Petersburg, Florida. I was a little lawn kid, you know, growing up, mowed a few lawns, that kind of stuff. Didn't really like it. But when I got out of uh, high school and went to college for a couple of years, I didn't know what I wanted to do after I went to college for two years. So I went into the Air Force and in the Air Force, I became or I was given the job photojournalist, which was public affairs and, you know, worked for the base newspaper. That's what we had. Every base at that time had a weekly base newspaper. And I was one of the staff writers and eventually became the editor. And that kind of stuff. So the reason I bring that up is that's where I originally learned about content and using content to convince and to convert. This was in the, in the early 90s. So once I got out of the Air Force, ended up going to college in Indiana, ended up going to Bible college in Indiana. And after four years, decided that being a pastor wasn't going to be right for me. <laughs> so, but during that time, I learned how to preach and I learned how to share stories and do all kinds of fun stuff like that and communicate, essentially. But during that time in college, I also had a job at True Green Chem Lawn, and that was in Chicago. So I worked on the south side of Chicago, and I was a sales rep. And back in those days, True Green Chem Lawn, we ran telemarketing units. I'd even call them boiler room to a certain degree. 
because there wasn't all the telemarketing laws. Now I realize this is pretty much very early days of the internet, definitely pre-smartphone. So the way we communicated was by dialing up, smiling and dialing. So I would run leads every day, get back into the office, call people and sell them services. Six applications, $39 each, six weeks apart, free service calls in between, you know, that kind of stuff the whole pitching stuff. Or once I decided that college wasn't going to really be the thing for me, I decided to make a career out of True Green and I spent 15 years there and pretty much held every job inside of a branch office, sprayed lawns, was an operations manager, sales, sales manager, became a, a general manager, a branch manager, which was an, a great job. I ran a branch in Hickory Hills, Illinois, over by there on the South side over by there. And uh, I love to bring up my little Chicago accents. And learned there, moved up into regional management. And I really liked True Green. The challenge I had there, though, was that corporate lawn care was just too much based on price all the time. Everything was, how can we be the cheapest lawn service out there? And, you know, by this time, I was getting into my 30s, and I started getting frustrated with that. And customers would kind of treat us a certain way that I didn't like. And, and I realized as the internet started becoming bigger and as smartphones started to come out, that we had an opportunity as True Green, as the world's largest lawn care company, we actually had an opportunity to do something on the internet. We were already the authority, we just didn't show it. We just ran our business off of $29.95 direct mail. And I thought, man, we had some great people. I mean, I worked with people in Chicago that had been spraying lawns on the south side of Chicago for 25 or 30 years. People that really understood soils and how to care for lawns and how to really turn a lawn into something. And we just didn't how do I say we didn't get that out there like I thought we should. I thought we should really focus on our people and what they did rather than 29.95 apps. So with that, I, you know, I was a big mouth in the company and I would try to act like I knew what I was doing, but nobody wanted to listen to me, whatever. I was just a frustrated dude in my 30s. So to kind of let out some of my frustration, I started a blog in 2007 and it was called Life and Lawns. And I don't think it's alive anymore. But I started it on a blog spot, which was a free blog platform by Google at the time, Blogger. And I started just writing content. And originally my goal was I would answer questions for people. So people would call in, I'll give you an example. And this goes right back to irrigation. So in the Midwest, in the summer, if you don't water your lawn, it goes dormant. Just what Kentucky bluegrass does. And so people in the summer, their lawn would be green in the spring. And then in the summer, it would go brown dormant and they would call us. What are you doing to my lawn? You burned my lawn. <laughs> like, no, you got to like water it. Like it's dead, right? Yeah. Like it's would, dead. People would say this and I'd be like, no, you have to water it. And I would try to explain to people, okay, you know, get on a half inch of water every couple of days, you know, water deep and in free. I would give them the training that we were taught, but they wouldn't believe me because we never sold them originally on the fact that we were experts or that we knew what we were doing. We sold them on price. So they, there was no connection and it got frustrating. So I started this blog thinking, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write these answers in a blog. And then when people call, I'll be like, you know what, Mrs. Jones, you don't believe me? Fine. Go to the internet and look at this guy over here on the internet. He's telling you the same thing I am. Maybe now you'll believe me. That's why I started it. And it ended up after just a few months, I was getting 15,000 visits a month to my website. Wow. And I didn't know why. I, I was like, wow, this is cool. Well, at that point, then I'm like, ooh, I might be able to monetize this and make this into something. So I started then, still working for True Green. I started then exploring the internet and learning. And I bought a bunch of courses, you know, make money online from your laptop from the beach and all that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. But I ended up finding a guy that was actually legit and legit in a certain way. And he taught me SEO, search engine optimization. And I paid him to do that. Except he was what you'd call a black hatter. He hated Google and he wanted to game Google. And so he yeah. taught me the bad way to do things. How did you know that it was the bad way? Because he told me. Okay. 
there was no epic fail that you went, oh shit, this is not good. I just lost my traffic. It happened. Yes. Several times, but I, not to my lawn care site. I bought just domain after domain. One part I left off is in 2010, I ended up selling my lawn care blog for a pretty large sum of money to a marketing company. And I took that money and that's what I reinvested. I bought like 60 different domains, everything from how to grow peanuts to selling wheelchairs and pharmaceutical stuff and whatever else. And I would just make mm -hmm. these blogs and they were kind of spammy and we build a bunch of junk links to them and they would rank number one for like two hours and then get whacked. And during all of that, and he taught me how to do that. And during I mean, page rank sculpting, we used to call it, you know, fun stuff. I don't want to go too deep into that, but during all that, I actually learned to appreciate Google trying to game Google. I actually ended up appreciating the algorithm and decided one day, man, this is dumb. Why don't I just give them what they want? Really good right. content, you know? <laughs> And, um, and organize in the way that a human wants it to be organized. Cause really all Google wants is a good user experience. Let's give them good user experience. Exactly. And back then, you know, there was no mobile traffic. It was all desktop. Whereas now it's different. I used WordPress. So that was nice, but I didn't have to do all the mobile coding and all that stuff. So the long and the short of that is I started feeding Google what they wanted. So working for triggering all during this time and started to really like SEO. So started taking on SEO clients from there and travel agents were a big one for me. And after time, I ended up meeting a guy who was starting a digital marketing agency. He was meeting in a library in Naperville, Illinois. He had eight employees at the time and I was introduced to him and he needed an SEO guy and he hired me as his first vice president. So this was in 2012. And so I left True Green, 15 year career where I was doing well and on a fast track. And I took a large pay cut to be, work for this little tiny startup, no benefits, nothing like that. And I was almost 40 at this time, or, or about 40. So took that chance. Six years later, oh, by the way, that company was a digital marketing company that did digital marketing for auto dealers. So mm -hmm. I spent six years traveling the country, visiting auto dealerships and teaching them about digital marketing and selling them digital marketing service. So then we did paid search, SEO, we built websites. We had a website platform called Dealer Inspire. Got it. So they wrapped their business around the vertical market of auto dealers. So. Yes. Lots of money in auto. The auto dealer in your town is the biggest spender of media in, in almost every town. Just how it works. Mm -hmm. You know, back in those days, we had to sometimes even convince them why they should have a website, believe it or not, or why they were wasting money on TV. But, you know, so that was a, a good experience for me. And six years later, that company had 600 employees and was acquired and taken public for $160 million. So that was just a couple years ago. And I got to watch all of that. Were they taken by dealer.com? Were they a part of that group? Cars.com. Cars.com. Okay. And it's an awesome company. The CEO is, is one of my mentors. His name is Joe Chura. Just an incredible experience there. And I worked with all young millennials. So if you want to start talking about how much I love millennials, we can do that because that's always a fun one to go into. But I didn't have any equity in the company, so I don't want anybody to think I got any of that. But what I did get was an education on really showing how an agency, a technology company can be built. And so when they were taken public though, just a couple of years ago, so I'll, I'm going to rewind just a second and you probably get more than you bargained for here, but I love telling the story because I love it. I love it. People out there have similar stories. So when I did quit true green and go to this company, the cuffs were off and I, they didn't care if I had a blog, they didn't know about it, honestly, because they were so head in the sand. But if I would have taken it to YouTube, that would have been a problem. That would have been a non-compete issue. I mean, if you got one of your, you know, regional managers in Chicago giving out all the lawn tips. They're not going to like that. So when I went to the digital marketing company, I was able now to go to YouTube because I knew that's really where the audience would be because the lawns are so visual. And so I did. I was pretty much the first guy. Now, I only talk to DIYers. I don't talk to professionals. There's 
a lot of guys out there that will teach professionals, you know, how to build their business. I don't do that. There's a lot of pros in my audience, but I talk to DIYers, homeowners. So I was the first and only, and I did that for many years and there was nobody, no one even cared all during this time. No one cared. But about three years ago, something happened in YouTube and DIYers and lawn care came and I was the only one. So I was the recipient of all the views and subscribers and my channel skyrocketed. So a couple years ago, it got to the point where if I didn't quit my day job, which at that time was with the digital marketing company, I was going to have a major lost opportunity. So I quit two years ago and went full time just doing the lawn care nut on YouTube. And now I've been doing that for two years and that's my full time income and my full time living is doing that. Mm -hmm. So that's my story. I will say people they have a misconception. They're like, Oh, so you do that all off of views and no views that don't pay anything. I mean, they do, but views, you can't make a real business on views. So behind the lawn care nut, I have a full e-commerce business. We have a Shopify website. I have two lines of fertilizer that I have an exclusive on. They're fertilizers that are made by small, what I call mom and pop shops or startups. Cause I really like working with startups in that way. I like to find products that a Home Depot or a Lowe's would probably never give the time of day to or a site one or whoever else you want to name. And I like to use, I like the term influencer is what they call us. I like to use my influence to bring those products to market. And so I sell those now one bag at a time. We have warehouses all over the country and we ship to homeowners. So that's it. I sell an ebook and inside the ebook, I train people how to take care of the lawn and, you know, we can go into all that, but that's kind of how I got to where I am. <laughs> yeah, excellent. I love that. It's a good mashup between two passions, your lawn care passion and then your developed digital marketing passion. And you put those together and now you have the lawn care nut, the yeah. passion mashup. It is. It's exactly what people say, you know, make a living on something you love. And that can be a little stressful at times, but for sure. And I, you know, I developed, that's the one thing I don't want to badmouth True Green because I don't mean to come across that way. I had some of the best business mentors there, some people that, just really put a lot into me as I was a frustrated person. I was not the nicest person in my thirties. I, I would have not wanted to manage me in my low thirties, but I had some really good mentors that did. And in spite of my big mouth, you know, taught me a lot. So I learned a lot of good business skills there, but I really did learn to love lawn care. You know, being out on lawn in the South side of Chicago in the spring and Oh, there's nothing better than that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I think with corporate, you either have to have a corporate mind and love the corporate mentality and be okay doing things slow and doing things in order, step one, step two, step three. And when you're out there as an entrepreneur, you sort of do what you want. You can skip some steps. You can jump ahead. You can experiment. And in corporate, it's, it's very hard to do that. And it can be frustrating if you want to make change and you want to make change fast. That isn't always going to happen. Yeah. The fertilizer industry, as far as I'm concerned, we are innovating. And when I say that we're innovating, I mean that in my opinion, from what I see, the DIY market is starting to run the green industry. And a lot of people will disagree with me on that, but I see now. So I'll give you one of the things I've learned is, is that let's just say you're somebody trying to bring a new product to market, whatever product it is, if it's in the landscape industry, if professionals are your market, what professionals don't do is share. If they have some awesome product that they love, they're not going to share that because they don't want their competitor to get it. DIYers are exactly the opposite. When they get something cool, they want everybody to know that they're the coolest kid with the coolest new thing. So they share it everywhere. And because of that, the DIY market is now shaping where the green industry goes. And we see that because I've seen in the last two years, I've seen some big players that only cared about ag and golf starting to make plays into the DIY market. And I just sit back and laugh. I think it's hilarious. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I don't know why that is, but I feel the same way. And part of the my premise for starting this podcast was to try to share because there's really not a lot of sharing going on. And I think you're right. Sometimes the professionals find something and they maybe consider it to be a competitive advantage. And perhaps it is. However, there's so many little things to give someone a competitive advantage that there's no way you could pinpoint it on one product or one way of estimating, et cetera, that the more you share, the more you learn. And hopefully this is my own, I guess, philosophy is that I want to share because I hope I'm always going to be ahead. So I want to innovate faster than someone else can catch up. So you just got to share. I'm a big believer in it. So appreciate that thought. Yeah. There's also the idea of story, telling a story. People nowadays, they don't just want to buy something. They want to understand the why behind it. And a lot of times that's the story you tell. So it's not just about having the great product, but it's the why you use it and how that's affected your customers. Again, telling that story behind the product. That's why I like working with some of the small businesses I do, because a lot of people will invest just because they're a growing company that maybe has started to grow and build their business and they have employees and people get behind that. They love to see startups. They love to see that growth and they love to see the American dream come true. And some people will get behind you just for that. And you're right, innovating, sharing, being on top, being ahead. Uh, people want to be a part of something successful. And the person that's always innovating and moving forward is successful. So you'll get customers just from exuding that success from always being on top of the newest thing. Yeah, yeah. So let's see, before we move into maybe some tips for irrigators, can you talk a little bit about how you produce a video and maybe how long it takes from start to finish, from filming to editing? Yes, for sure. And this will be good for your audience too, because of professionals, because most of them, all of them will tell you, yes, I know I need to be on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook. They know that, but there's these barriers to entry and the barriers to entry are these things, the equipment, the editing. So YouTube for me, I do it as simple as I can. So I only use GoPros and I have two of them and that's it. And I film everything in my yard. Mostly what I do though, is what I'm doing anyway. So if I'm doing something in my yard, if I'm spraying an application of humic acid and some pre-emergent, for example, well, that just becomes the video because what I'm doing is what everybody else should be doing. And so I'm just filming my daily life. And that's part of the story too. I talk to people about some of the things I, that go wrong or, or weather got in my way, or this is frustrating. And I, I can share that with them. But after you do it for a while in a position like mine, where I'm filming in the same lawn all the time, I know the camera spots. I know how to put them in the right places. I know the sun angles. I know the time of day to go out. So that makes it pretty easy for me. So, you know, I might spend four or five hours in the lawn filming and then I edit on a Mac now, but I, I mean, I started using an old program on an old Windows machine years ago, but I edit on a Mac and it takes me about four and a half to five hours to edit a full video of 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. I would say that's pretty darn reasonable, really. I mean, four to five hours, it's not four to five days. It's pretty good. Yeah. And you have to go through a learning curve. You know, you, you get a workflow down that can speed things up. And then every once in a while, I'll do something that does take a few days. You know, I'll put a lot more into it. Just depends how creative I feel like that week. Okay. And how many videos at this point over the last two or three years is, is in your library or on your channel? I put out on average one a week. Okay. So I think I have 400, 500. Now I haven't looked at how many I have, but on average one per week. And then I do a weekly newsletter. So I have a lot of content that flows and I'm able to reuse quite a bit of it. So I have a, a weekly email newsletter that goes out every Tuesday. And that's where I get really detailed. I always tell people that my emails are really where I get to the real meat of what I teach. And I teach people pretty deep. I teach them pounds on the ground. Let's look at the label. Let's understand percentages of nitrogen 
you know, phosphorus, potassium. Why do we put down a half pound in the spring versus three quarter? What I basically teach in my channel is what I used to train my true green techs. That's exactly the same training. It's just now over 10 years. I tell people that I'm kind of like a high school teacher that teaches the same exact subject every year, but you got to keep it fresh. So I teach the same things every year. I just change up the way I say it. So I do a weekly email newsletter and then I put my regular videos out on Thursdays. That's on the Lawn Care Nut channel. And then I have a podcast that I put out. Now it's going to start going on on Mondays, even though my podcast has been on hiatus because I'm super busy here in the spring. Okay. And if somebody wants to get on your email list, this would be a good plug. How can they do that? So if you just visit the lawncarenut.com, that's my website. And up at the top, you'll see a newsletter there. And we have actually free guides that we give out. I, again, I have a whole content marketing machine going on. So I say we, I have a staff of 10 now. I have an office in Bozeman, Montana. My business partner runs all that. He does all the adult work, I call it. <laughs> but wow. uh, that's why I keep saying we. But uh, yeah, there's the weekly newsletter goes out and you know, get on that email list. When you do sign up, now we're sending out a guide to pre-emergence. It's like a 40-page guide on when to put down a pre-emergent, which will stop crabgrass. Why do you use this product? How do you use it? What does it mean? All of those kind of things. So you get a little free guide there and then uh, get on the weekly emails. Awesome. You know, you and I have not talked much before now, so you don't know, but I actually went to Montana State University in Bozeman. Oh, nice. That's where I got my horticulture degree was Montana State. So how did you get your or stumble across your business partner out there? That is fun. That's a great question. So he actually was learning digital marketing in the same class that I was. The same guy that taught me, taught him. And we became friends inside, you know, behind this paywall where we were both learning from this guy. And we, over the years, had done a couple collaborations here and there and then when I needed to bring this business together, he's somebody I trusted to understand. So him and the staff there, they run all of our paid search and, and Facebook ads. And he keeps the list segmented for email and all of that fun stuff that I love to get reports about, but don't want to manage these days. <laughs> awesome. So with four to 500 existing videos, how do you organize all of those so that if you're making or you have an idea in your head, you're sitting there on a Friday night having a beer and you go, oh, I should make a video on blank. How do you remember what you've already filmed or keep track of that, maybe that content library, if you will. So I actually don't. And that's a downfall of mine is all of my old content. I very rarely refer back to it. The thing about YouTube is that nowadays it's so all about the fresh velocity that the old stuff just kind of falls by the wayside. And so I'll refer back to it here and there. Like if I send out an email blast and I need to talk about something, a lot of times I will link back to old videos, but for the most part, I just let them roll. And there are people that'll go through them. You know, we, that's the fun thing about it. There are people that get involved with what I'm doing and they go look at the old videos and they'll send me emails. Oh man, you used to suck real bad, bro. And I'll be like, I know, you know, so, but other than that, I really don't look at my past videos. It's all about what I have coming up now. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Well, this was great content as it relates to the, the digital side of your business, the media. So maybe let's segue now into the green industry information as it relates to you know, what a irrigation professional should know about lawn care. And maybe from your experience where irrigation contractors have gone wrong or tips that they should have in terms of helping or working with their lawn care professional to maintain healthy lawn. The things that I think may have been done wrong by a contractor, I don't know if they were because I, do, I, I know so little about the industry. And that's my shortcoming. I actually am looking at myself going, man, I should have educated myself in this regard better. 
I'm glad to connect with this audience. That, that's okay. That means this will be real and transparent, right? So it's almost like you can speak from the lawn care professional side and maybe it's something the irrigation contractor has done right or wrong. I would say it doesn't matter. I would just love to hear from your experience how water can be helpful or not helpful to the lawn. Okay. So down here in Florida, it's a little different, but when I worked in the Midwest in Chicago, I would find so I worked it on the southwest side. So Orland Park, Tinley Park, a lot of your folks will know that. Frankfurt, Illinois. These are areas that in the 90s and 2000s blew up with new construction. So guys would come in. There's this nasty clay. They'd slap some sod down on it. You know, not your contractors, but other contractors. And then there'd be an irrigation system there. And for some reason, so many times I would go out and we would have a thatch problem in that lawn and I would find that the irrigation was set up for every zone to run 10 minutes every day. Now, I don't know if that's the contractor doing that or what. I don't know who was doing that, but that was the worst thing I could ever find because you know that a parkway spray is different than something in a wider area of the lawn. And so we would have shallow rooting, we would have thatch problems, all kinds of issues with that. And I don't know why that was. So here's what I started doing is I would tell my customers to take the tuna can challenge. And this is one of my favorite things to talk about even today on my lawn. So one of the things I tell people is, Hey, a tuna can is about one inch deep. What I tell you to do is to get down a half inch of water every two to three days, water deep and infrequent. The reason I want you to water deep and infrequent is that will encourage grass roots to go deep and grow deep but it also allows them to dry out in between so they can handle a little bit of stress and that kind of thing, right? So I would tell people, go out in your lawn, throw a tuna can out there and turn the zone on and see how long it takes that zone to get that thing filled up halfway. Then mark that down. If that's zone one and it took 25 minutes, that's what you set that zone to is 25 minutes. So that way, every time you water, you're going to get down a half inch, right? And I would tell people that, and I can tell you that in all the years I worked for True Green, I never one time saw a tuna can in a front lawn. <laughs> so I don't think people were listening to me. The other thing is I tell people the same thing though with their manual sprinkling. It's just a little bit different. You have to pick your spots and all that. But get that half inch of water down. So that's the biggest misconception I've found is why are these zones only on for that long? So you tell me. I think you're spot on. What I find is that you're using a word a half an inch and what the sprinkler timer does is it runs a time mm -hmm. and so we have two ways of talking about water one is in inches and one is in time and how does time correlate to inches it has to do with the type of sprinkler or the type of emission device i.e a drip tube or a bubbler or a rotor or a spray and so i think that a lot of let's say the, the inexperienced contractors will learn from someone else Else that sprays run for 10 minutes and rotors run for 30 minutes and I'm generalizing here and we're talking about time but we're not talking about inches of water and what we really need to be talking about is what you said and again this is my opinion talking about inches of water and then we'd have to ask ourselves the question what is 15 minutes maybe I should understand the application rate of this sprinkler. What is, you know, what is the application rate of this rotor? What nozzle is in it? What is the application rate of this drip tube? What is the flow rate of the emitter? What is the emitter spacing? What is the row spacing so that we can correlate time to inches? And for the most part, that can take a little bit of math. So we generalize that Rotors are four-tenths of an inch an hour, and spray heads are one inch an hour. And drip is a very big misnomer because you can have drip tubing that actually puts out over an inch an hour like a spray head, but then you can also have drip tubing that puts out 
more like a rotor at a quarter of an inch an hour over four tenths of an inch an hour. So I guess to summarize, I'm seeing the breakdown in the time correlation to inches of water. Yeah, so that's why I talk about tuna can challenge because that's how I have tried to solve that. So going a little further, if you look at most lawn products, they will say water this in and they don't tell you time. So for example, pre-emergence will say water in with one half inch of water or rainfall. Now, not everybody's going to have a rain gauge out there. So they need to know that their system, each zone, right? Like you're saying, how long do you need to leave it on? Mm. So you get that half inch. Otherwise your lawn product won't work properly. Right. I don't know why I've never thought of this before, but take your typical irrigation zone chart that a contractor should be leaving with the controller, even though many don't. So if, I would hope that if you're listening, leave a zone chart and maybe instead of putting the runtime you've set for the zone, keep the runtime, but then add next to it how long to apply a half inch. So that if, like you said, you're reading the pre-emergent instructions and it says water and a half an inch and you look and you say, okay, this is going to be zones two, three, and four. It says right here in my zone chart, I should be running it for 28 minutes to get that half an inch. Exactly. And that's why I use half inch as a standard. So it makes it easy for people. And most lawn products are a half inch, almost all of them. So it's for watering in products, but also for your regular irrigation. Typically, I recommend a half inch in, unless you're in extremes, but Typically a half inch every couple of days is what I've come to recommend for most grass types. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what we find on large projects that have dozens or hundreds of zones that it is sometimes impossible to run a half an inch to put down a half an inch because the run times can become so long mm -hmm. that there's not enough time in the day to apply the water. And part of that goes back to the original design of the system that hydraulically there wasn't enough at the source. So maybe they've designed the system at 50 gallons a minute and it should have been designed at 120 gallons a minute if somebody wanted to apply that half inch of water. And so I think that a lot of times typically it's a quarter inch of water because on your bigger sites, there's not enough time in the day or at night to get that water down all at once. I think on your typical residential home with four to 12 zones, it's absolutely possible. But on larger commercial sites, when maybe you can only water from six at night to six in the morning, you can't put a half an inch down because there's just not enough time to do it. So here's what's interesting to me about that. I'm learning something here. In my different forums and groups and stuff, I all the time will have guys come in and they'll go, hey, I got an estimate for sprinklers and they'll post it up. What do you guys think about this? And I don't ever comment because I don't know. I really don't know what to tell them, but I watch what other people will say. And it's always about price. This guy's this much. This guy wants 3,600. This guy's $1,800 more. And what you just said to me though, let me realize that somebody that's going to properly install an irrigation system is a real engineer. You're not just some chuck with a truck. There's a lot of math. There's a lot of engineering there. And that's the story that needs to be told. I would so respect someone and they don't have to tell me that on the property when they're trying to close the deal. But if it's on the website, let me explain to you why we do all this. Let me talk to you about the education I had to go through. You know, that would give me so much respect as a consumer. I'll pay the higher price if I know that I have a true engineer versus somebody that is not that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So shameless plug, if you're listening, go back to episode number four here on the show. And I talk about learn to estimate, bid and sell. And so one of the things that I learned early in my career was fortunate enough to be exposed to was the value of selling with an irrigation plan. So when you are presenting to the homeowner and you have a CAD drawing that has the system engineered out, you immediately separate yourself from everybody else and you can be seen in the eyes of that homeowner as the engineer. Even if a lot of guys are all engineering it in their heads or on a piece of paper with a pen, being the professional that has that engineered plan is a really good way to separate yourself. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so we talked about too much water, watering basically every day for 10 minutes on a zone, and that was causing a lot of thatch problems. What else are you seeing out there? Is there anything specifically in Florida? No, again, I haven't studied the industry that much. Down here, you know, we have rain in the summer, so we don't really do any irrigation from May to like September because we get rain every single day for like 20 minutes and it's really heavy, so it's perfect. So I will tell you that I really like the smart controllers that are out now. I don't know all the different brands. I have one, I won't say the brand, but I really like the idea of a smart controller because of the fact that a lot of customers want to hack things now. People want to pull the levers. They want to see the data behind what they're doing. And I think anytime you can give somebody more data about what they're doing and why, it can really help them to really have a bigger investment in that. And I think one of the things where people fail with an irrigation system is they never touch it. They're like, oh, it was installed, it just runs. But here in Florida, you can't do that. And I understand that there's been controllers for years that have rain sensors, but the real smart ones now are truly smart. You know, the one I have, I know it never runs in the summer because it doesn't have to, but all winter it runs and it knows when to run and how, and it sends me an update and tells me how much water I saved versus last year. I love that stuff. It makes me really have, again, respect for that and appreciate that, that somebody took the time to install my system. Now, where I'm at, my house is 15 years old, so I have a hodgepodge system. There's probably been five different people worked on it over the years. So I'm planting a new tree and I'll dig up like a head from somewhere that was there from years ago. So that's always fun. But I think the smart control systems, I don't know how you guys integrate that. Maybe is there a way for you to get data back from it later on? Maybe so when you're out doing your winterization, we don't do winterization here, but you know, that kind of stuff. Can you get data from it to help you to improve? later down the road? Yes. So it depends on the type of system and the scale of the system. But yes, you can get a lot of data from these systems. And you can even look at the moisture in the soil over time as it relates to runtime. So one of my favorite, this is going to be specific to a baseline controller. One of my favorite reports to look at, and I can do this remotely. So if you think about me sitting here in my office in Traverse City, and maybe I'm working with a contractor in Washington, DC, and I bring up their controller, if I look at the report that shows the moisture over a month or over two weeks, and I also look at the runtime over that same period, I want to see a runtime and I want to see the moisture in the soil go up, right? If I'm watering, I want to see the moisture in the soil go up. If I see a moisture graph that's flat, I'm going to wonder, is it wet all the time or is it dry all the time? Is this 10 minutes actually not doing anything? Right. And so you can get a ton of information by looking at the moisture and the runtime. And you can also learn how well did they set up their programming? 
And a good example would be, I've seen moisture graphs both in Boston, DC, and Minneapolis where a properly programmed system with moisture sensors could go two weeks in between watering, even in the summer, if they get enough rainfall. So if you're managing off of a dry, a lower threshold moisture value, which means the controller is going to remain off until the soil has dried out to your predetermined set point. Every time it rains, the tank gets filled back up. So every time it rains, you're just skipping more and more and more days. And so if you have a frequent rainfall, you can skip a lot of irrigation where the rain sensor will kick back on in the next day or two because the little cork discs dry out. Meanwhile, the soil is holding that water. And so it's just really interesting when you start looking at the moisture data and run times. Yeah, so that's intriguing to me because of watering restrictions that we have more and more around the country. So if I was a contractor, I would work with a couple customers to track their data for a year or two, and I would use that in my marketing. Look at what we did. This is what they started at, and here's where they went. And now you can even partner with some of the more funky, fresh lawn companies out there that are using some more what you might call sustainable practices in their application, where they're not just throwing down MPK, they're actually using things, they're adding carbon to the soil, they're building soil, they're working on deep roots, because a lawn with deeper roots, especially, you know, a grass type like Kentucky bluegrass, that's typically a more shallow rooted uh, turf type. If you can get those roots deeper, now you need to function on less water in general. So you could really have a good story to tell with irrigation contractor with smart irrigation, working with a lawn company that is using practices to really build soil and not just NPK. And look what we've done to reduce inputs. Cause we talk in our industry a lot about reducing inputs, right? Less pounds on the ground, especially here in Florida, you know, it challenges with red tide and things like that. You hear about that in the news. They talk about runoff. We actually have fertilizer bans in most of the summer here because the fertilizer can run off into the rivers, all the rivers lead to the Gulf or the ocean and causes issues. So if you can talk about reduced inputs, not only in your fertilizer, pesticides, that stuff, but you can talk about reduced inputs in your watering. Now you have a green story to tell and that can really be powerful. Yeah. Yeah. You'd want that healthy plant, you know, a plant that is very water use efficient because all your inputs can be less. Exactly right. And that saves money over time too, obviously. Yes, it does. And I think what we see And there's always going to be people that are doing this right now. So if you're listening and you're doing this right now, congratulations, high five. And there's also people listening that will say, I don't have the time for this. I have more people calling me that want me to come fix their sprinklers than I can spend to, let's say, either properly set the controller or work with them to have a better water use program over time that right now we are seeing a little bit of the industry trying to understand how do I charge for this? How do I tell the homeowner that, yeah, I'm going to take, you know, four or five extra hours and this is what we're going to do and to be able to bill for that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think those are just the challenges everybody faces, right? As technology moves forward, there are going to be people that put the effort into it and they see the value in it and there will be those that don't. So that's, that's pretty typical across the board. Mm -hmm. So let's see, I got a couple questions. This is going to go back to making videos. Do you think it would be beneficial for any landscape lawn care irrigation company to make a couple videos for their business about what they do? Yes. Put it on YouTube? Yeah, but I would say go to Instagram. So here's, I talked about earlier, I mentioned barriers to entry. So, you know, grabbing a GoPro, pulling that off, getting that onto your computer, all those things. That's, that's a lot of barriers to entry. Instagram has zero. So Instagram has stories now. So you just take your smartphone, you put it up in front of your face and you do, it's like Snapchat was, you know, Snapchat kind of turned into what it is. 
You can do that now on Instagram and you can literally tell a story in real time. I love the term look live. That's an old school term we used to use in TV advertising. Look live with auto dealers, you know, try to make it sound like something's going on here now. Oh, I'm looking out across the showroom floor. There's hundreds of people here. You got to get here now. You know, it's a radio ad they recorded the week before. That's called look live. Well, Instagram is literally look live. I can be on a property at any time as a professional and I can go out and if I see weeds popping in the spring, let's say I'm, I'm seeing early crabgrass coming up. Well, I'm going to get down in the lawn with Instagram and I'm going to see this is crabgrass right here. You see what it looks like? Now, here's what I'm doing today. I'm putting this down and this down on it. And this is what this customer is going to be able to expect. And this is how you can identify in your lawn. And by the way, if you're seeing this, call me right now. In fact, hit me back on Instagram right now. So it's literally video in real time. It's real time storytelling and there's zero barrier to entry because it's on your phone. So that's where I would tell anybody in any trade to start with is Instagram stories. Do you want to hashtag something particular? So if you're in Florida, what you really want is, is people in Florida, in your city, in your zip code, in your service area to see that. Maybe not somebody in, in California. So are there ways that you can make sure that story is being seen by local people? Yes, yeah, so you can check in at different places. You can definitely use hashtags, find out, you know, like I live near a town called Lakewood Ranch and they use LWR as a hashtag. So I'll follow that to find out what things are going on locally. But interestingly enough, the way the internet works now, the algorithms are so smart. They know where the local people are. They know you're a local business, especially if you've registered yourself on the social media platform as a business. They kind of already know that. And by the way, I don't mind having people view my stuff from other states because views and interactions equate to more boost in the algorithm. And then the other thing is, though, you still have to tell people in other channels where to find you. So for example, in the past, I might have said, go visit my website. Not anymore. I said, go find me on Instagram. See, because I know that's where things are going to be live. So there's still that traditional side of marketing, talking about your business, telling people where you are, why you're there. And again, if you're a resource, people are going to gravitate to you anyway. And so if you have 10,000 views on each of those posts that you do, even if only 10 of those are in your local area, that's 10 really good views that you wouldn't have gotten. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Do you or have you worked with professional contractors as a consultant to help them do any of this sort of stuff? So I speak in conferences and teach these things. I don't do it as a consultant, like for paid catch stuff like that. Got it. But I, I do love to work with professionals. I speak in two conferences a year where I talk to pros and I only talk about digital marketing. I don't talk to them about how to run their business or do estimates because it's not my wheelhouse, but I will definitely talk to them about how digital works and that type of stuff. Awesome. Well, this has been great, Alan. I, there's a lot of good nuggets here, and, and I think we could probably hook back up later and maybe even dig into one of them specifically. And I'm thinking Insta. You know, that could be something we're circling back on later and going down deeper into Insta. So, yeah, I'd love to do that. It's not overly saturated currently. Video on Instagram is severely underplayed. So, I talked about doing Instagram stories, but Instagram video, even me, it's 100% underplayed. The other thing is you can push everything from Instagram to Facebook. So you get a little double play there. Facebook's getting a little challenging, but for sure, Instagram's a great one right now. Awesome. Well, we've been uh, chatting for about 45 minutes and I appreciate this dialogue tremendously. It's been great to catch up with you. Great to hear your story. I love the startup stories. And uh, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Andy. It's been fun for me. And again, I love being exposed to new audiences and learning new things and it's inspired me to go and learn a lot more about irrigation that I don't know. So thank you very much for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we'll catch you next time. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, bro. 
Man, I think Alan and I could talk together for hours. So I'm definitely making a note to myself to bring him back on the show. Specifically, I would like him to talk about Instagram and we could have an episode on how to use Instagram for your irrigation or landscaping business. So I just want to thank everyone again for listening to this show. It means a lot to me to have your support. And if you have time and are willing, please leave us a comment and a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. All of our social media links can be found at sprinklernerd.com, and we would love to have you join us in the private Facebook community. So I think that's pretty much going to wrap it up today. And so until the next time, happy sprinkling, and we'll talk to you then.